This is the Owens Recovery Science Podcast, hosted by physical therapist Johnny Owens. All right, welcome back to another Owens Recovery Science Podcast. As always, it's been way too long since we've talked to each other as a group to get something for everyone outside the world as a group to listen to us. So um, I'm excited about today's podcast. Um, we, we're going to highlight some new papers that have come out that I think are pretty impactful and, and very pertinent to, to what we do. As always, we invite you to go on Owens Recovery Science podcast, I mean, owensrecoveryscience.com um, to check out our content. We have blogs up there. Um, we have all of our podcast listings. If you want to find some of our certified providers around the world, um, we have them all there. And most importantly, if you are not certified, we'd like you to go there and, and consider going to one of our courses. And so we got a bunch of courses coming up. We got one um, that's happening in London this weekend. So by the time this drops, knowing us, it will be already well past this. But um, Dr. Luke Hughes, who a couple of papers we're talking about today, is doing a course in London at Pure Sports Medicine. Um, so if anyone is interested, there's going to be more happening in London almost on a regular basis at Pure Sports Medicine. I think we have another one there November 30th. Um, we've got one in Garden City, New York. That one's sold out, right? I think that one's sold out. Okay, Garden City, New York at Professional Physical Therapy. Um, Zach Dunkel sold out again, man. Zach, you know, you just luck into these sold out ones somehow. Um, or, or is it the Zach Dunkel thing? I don't know. Um, in Cincinnati, at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and that one's really filling up. Los Gatos, the coolest name of any city that I've ever heard. It's, it's you know, I'm, I'm San Antonio Latino down here, so it's the cat, right? Um, and that one's that one's also filling up. Kyle, that's your area, right? Yeah, it's NorCal. NorCal, so it's beautiful. Yep. Um, and then we're going to have one at Anova Physical Therapy in, in Washington, D.C. We have an ACL trial going on right there. My, my good friend, Dr. Robin West, who's the chair of orthopedics and team doc for the Redskins and the Nationals, um, that's up at her place. So um, I'll be at that one um, September 7th. We're also um, September 14th in Denver, Colorado. I'm always loving anything in next level sports. Some of our best friends, some of the best people in the world out there. Um, so if you're in Denver, that's just a great place. They have a, they have a great um, group of people, and it's always a fun time being there. West Palm Beach, Ben, seriously. Um, nice, nice. So if you're in Florida and you like to hang out where the bazillionaires hang out, West Palm Beach at Oceanside Physical Therapy, Milwaukee, where we work a ton with their teams up there and we love them at Concordia University. Um, and then we have Dallas at, at Children's Health Andrews um, Institute, who, who are also great friends. We do courses there all the time. And then I'm doing something with Jet Set Rehab, where they're hosting the course, and I'm going to come out there and speak. And we're doing that at the UFC Center, um, the new UFC Center in Las Vegas, which I've heard is amazing from everyone who's been there, our friend Heather, who works there. Um, so if you want to check out the UFC center and get a good BFR certification course in Las Vegas, September 28th. And then we have one in Vancouver, um, September 14th, up at go physical therapy. We have a couple in Hong Kong in September 28th, Taiwan, um, October 5th, Vienna, Austria, um, um, November 5th. And then something I just want to touch on, we signed an agreement with ortho park, which is a very well-respected, large healthcare institution in Germany. 
um, to do collaborative blood flow restriction courses and blood flow restriction research. We have some cool total hip, total knee trials and peripheral arterial disease trials up there. And we'll, we're going to get them on this podcast and also we need to announce it out that Alex Franz, who's one of the, the researchers there, who's already been published quite a bit in blood flow restriction. Um, he is going to start hosting courses at Ortho Park. Um, and his first one is going to be November 16th. So if you're in Europe and you speak German, <laughs> then um, I would definitely get to Atos Ortho Park because it's a great place to be. So that's housekeeping. Where you been? Where you at? I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. I did AOSSM, um, which is a great conference. My title, my talk, like I mentioned it before, was Buffalo Restriction. Try this. It works. Um, and so uh, anyways, I, I, I believe it works. So the title worked. Um, and then I, I was elected by the students at Northwestern University in Chicago um, as their person to come present at their grand rounds this year. And I've never been to Northwestern. I go to Chicago all the time, but that's an amazing facility. It's the first physical therapy school in America, the oldest, um, and, and just beautiful. It's on the Miracle Mile in Chicago. So, so that was pretty exciting. Done a bunch of private courses and other courses in between, but those are some highlights. What about you, Dunkel? Where you been? Um, at the beginning of August, I was up in uh, Rhode Island at a private course up there and then, um, went up to, um, New York city to HSS and yeah. worked with another group up there, a good, good group of folks. And then, um, were you at the new HSS facility? Where were you at? No, I was at the uh, hospital. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I think the new place is on the West side. Mm-hmm. of the city there was folks from and, and that's predominantly a sports med yeah. um where, where they see i from what i was told the majority of their pro athletes are over there yeah but well, um, it's, where the, it's where the richies live you know the doctors yeah. and the pro athletes all live out there yeah so um and then uh, j- i did a course down here in atlanta at uh, georgia bone and joint and had a pretty good turnout there it was interesting uh one of the attendees uh, was a, um, a regenerative medicine physician from Andrews. Um, wow. so yeah, he, he was already quite familiar with BFR coming from Andrews. Um, sure. so nice man. Yeah. And then, uh, heading, uh, next weekend up to long Island again for, for another course up there. So that's already it's the one that's sold out. So, Oh, 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 someone just yeah. sold out. I ain't got, you know, no big deal. You know, yeah, I sold out. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. like the Rolling Stones. You guys are like, um, I don't, I don't know. You're like uh, uh, the Bee Gees or something. Uh, <laughs> is that, that going to be another one where you, you get there and it's like, wait, you're not Johnny? <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean, I don't even know if Johnny knows about that. <laughs> I, I, probably, I probably don't want to know. It's good. First guy walks in the door and is like, oh, you're not Johnny. <laughs> uh, it's, hap- it's happened to me before too, Zach. So don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, my last course was here in San Antonio. I, I did a kind of a course to support TPTA. So trying yeah. to give some, some back to the, sponsored. yeah, trying to give some back to the state associations. So, um, good course, you know, over here at, uh, catalyst in, in San Antonio. And, um, so appreciative for, for them putting up their space for us. And then, uh, before that I was in Memphis, Tennessee at Rhodes college, did a course up there, uh, and then had a, a couple private courses in, 
Houston and New York before that. So New York is kind of the hot spot right now. We're yeah. going back and forth to New York a bunch. That's good. So yeah, my, I'm about to head to Ohio. That's my next one. So yeah. Well, children's hospital. And that's, what's awesome, man. We're, we have so many of these children's hospitals going right now. And yeah. finally, one of the children's hospitals is doing a trial as far as we know on safety um, so that's beautiful. And, and I think the more and more of these we get on board, we're going to finally get a published pediatric trial. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that is definitely going to happen. Um, yeah. just basically working through establishing safety. And then once that kind of gets solidified, I mean, they're, they're on board to, um, start clinical trials. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was our first trial in the DOD it was, it was a safety trial. So we had, we had to knock that one out first to keep yep. the IRB happy at everyone else. And then now they're just rolling. Cool. All right. Frostbitten twice shy Kyle Kimbrell's <laughs> terrible name of his fantasy. It's a great, it's a great name. It, it sounds like one of my kids, Disney shows they watch. It's very relevant this year. Yeah. All right. All right. So what's up? Uh, oh, and, I, and I get it. I, I know the joke, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're very proud of you for coming up with that. I, yeah. I was proud of myself because I'm not usually good at this. So I'm, I'm definitely patting myself on the back. Uh, <laughs> I might tweet about it later even, you know? Oh, good. <laughs> you, use your own account, please. <laughs> <laughs> just and include your bitmoji. Yeah. yeah. I just, I need a bitmoji of me patting myself on the back. Just for every so often. <laughs> um, gosh, I've been, the summer has kind of been making the rounds with the colleges. Went, went to University of Iowa and then back out to Iowa State. Uh, was out at AOSSM with you, Johnny, and then made my way over to Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and then kind of came back home, back up to Berkeley for a course for their athletic medicine department. They've been working for a while to get that, get that thing approved. So that was a, that was a lot of fun to, to meet them and, and see, yes. see Berkeley. I'd never been up there. We, so we owe our good friend there. A lot of yeah, kudos for how hard she has worked with, with her medical staff and everyone else. But Cal Berkeley is definitely on board now. And actually yeah. I had someone in my uh, San Francisco course a few weeks back from Cal Berkeley that missed That's it. That's right. You were yeah. just talking about like, how hard they had to struggle to get acceptance there. But yeah, that was, that was cool. And then we just uh, had a big open course here in um, LA. And the day before that we were, uh, we helped sponsor uh, lunch for this big ACL conference that my buddy Matt Bobman put on. He runs uh, a continuing education company called South coast seminars. Um, he brought in Matt Ithaburn, Mark Paterno, Elizabeth Wellsand, Sue Sigward, um, Dustin Grooms and they, and, and then Dr. Jones from UCLA, uh, and yeah. they did just a, a bang up job of really kind of coming at ACL reconstruction, rehabilitation from, are they going to do this every year? We are going to try to make that happen. Yeah. I, I, I told Matt before we ever, uh, had this one, I'm like, Hey man, this probably needs to be like a yearly thing. If not yearly, yeah. then, then, then every other year or something. So yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe just kind of moving around the country or, or, or maybe just do, always doing in LA, we could kind of figure figure yeah, that out. It's hard to, you know, because, you know, we, I did the symposium of the Americas that the Memorial Herman did the Walt and, and Lane and Russ and all those guys, you know, and they did it for a couple of years and then just kind of abandoned it. Cause I just think it's so much work. Yep. Um, but it's just awesome. They had so many good speakers. Like 
Cliff Jones out there, man, that guy's great. Um, and yeah. so, and, and Paterno and all of them, it would be awesome if they can keep this going. So we'll see, I guess. Yeah. Ho- right. ho- hopefully we are able to put it together. I think it, I think it'd be yeah. awesome. Too. Yeah. So. All right. So yeah, basically you're like old school right now. You're the old dude who's hitting all the colleges um, yeah. and doing courses all over the place. That's good, man. I yeah. appreciate that. While I'm, I'm slugging away, you know, it's it just Joe Blow wherever you're hitting the college campuses. Do you, do you wear like a shirt? Um, like you're actually part of the school and you walk around and, and freak people for a bit. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I, yeah. I try to blend yeah. in, you know, I, I don't know if you I blend, got, man. I, I really don't think you blend. I, I get on those little scooters, you know? <laughs> oh, the scooters, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that was what was amazing at, like, USC and UCLA is when we're out there walking around, how many freaking scooters are on campus? I mean, you think about it, it's like a beautiful concept. Those scooters are great probably for college. Like, I I, I don't know if I would have done it. I, you know, I'm from Texas. The scooters are kind of lame down here, but – to use those scooters around college are crazy. But I remember UCLA were like stepping over them on, on the sidewalks. They were like all over the place. Yeah. yeah they, they actually can't, they don't operate on the campus now. They have like GPS in them. So if you're going up, there's a certain spot where the thing just stops working and you have to leave Nice. It. Can they put that GPS on my entire city? That would be great. <laughs> Let's make them go away. All right. Well, I, I want to mention just a couple things for housekeeping here and, and kudos. So just, you know, new papers that are something I've done. I've, I've got a new paper that came out um, in sports medicine, arthroscopy review um, came out about two weeks ago, I think. And so this was a special edition. They've got a couple editions now of this that they did and it's the tactical athlete um, and, and sports medicine and recovery. And so we did one on blood flow restriction for the tactical athletes. Um, and it was Dr. Anderson, um, and Dr. Dickens who are both at Walter Reed and then Dr. LeClaire, who's a good friend of mine, who is the, um, team doctor for the Naval Academy up at Annapolis. And then Steven Patterson and I, um, were on it as well. So if anyone's interested and, and they, want to hear something new that's come out directly from us. That one just came out in sports medicine, arthroscopy, arthroscopy review. I've had a couple of beers, but not that many. So I'm, I'm slurring a bit already. Um, and so the other thing I want to mention is dude, you guys ever heard of the ink 500 list? I have now. Tell, tell us about it. <laughs> All right, man. You know what it is? It is the fastest growing companies in America. So it doesn't mean that you are the most profitable you make more money. That's the Forbes list. So the Forbes lists are like Google and all that sort of stuff. <clears throat> but the Inc 500 list is like, these companies are like just skyrocketing and they're the ones that like people are really interested in. We made the list, man. It's called the Inc 5000 list. Cause there's, they take in 5,000 companies. You know what our rank was? Y'all know what it is. I, I'm not going to play yeah. <laughs> number, number 136. So Orange Recovery Science was ranked number 136 as the fastest growing company in America, number 17 in healthcare, and number one in San Antonio, Texas, which is our hometown. So anyways, this is a huge um, accomplishment for our team. You guys have helped us a ton. And Tori and Jen and Melissa with one S and Melissa with two S's and all of our team (laughs) everywhere um, who work so hard. So I'm very, very proud of them. And anyways, um, 
the Inc. 500 is out stance now. If you want to read more about it, it's, it's, it's what's up. Okay. So enough of this, let's get into the real nitty gritty. So we got three new papers that have come out. We've probably got 30 new papers that come out since our last podcast, but three new papers that come out that we would like to highlight because I think they're pretty impactful. And the first paper I want to really talk about was in frontiers of physiology, which is a high tier journal. Um, yeah, three point something, I think like 3.6 um, impact factor type review. And so this one's called the effects of restriction pressures on the acute responses to blood flow restriction exercise. Um, and so is mostly the authors are from Stuart Warmington's group, who is a professor in, in Australia at Deakin University. Everybody I know kind of bows down to Stuart that he's a brilliant mind, brilliant professor and brilliant researcher. Um, and then they had another guy, Timo, who I don't know, Timo Ranataliana. I looked at, I, I, I don't, I don't speak Finlandian, but, um, he, he's on ResearchGate. He's got a pretty high ResearchGate profile. He does a lot of work. He's in the gerontology. Um, and also he works in the faculty of sport and science there, but he does a lot of cool work with like bone and, and sarcopenia and stuff like that. He, he, his like research gate profile is like 38. So he's, he's, he's way higher than me. Um, but, but anyway, so this is a paper that we want to highlight first. So anyone here, um, Ben, I think this is one you wanted to kind of talk about and you're the one that brought it to our attention. Yeah. So uh, really cool paper looking at, uh, more on the acute response to exercise and how that changes from heavy load to light load to BFR with that light load at different pressures. Um, so they set this up as a, a randomized crossover design. They had subjects come in on different days with enough days of rest in between that it wouldn't interfere and essentially did isometric contractions on a biodex so that way they could look at torque and then compare that throughout the exercise. They actually looked at torque at the beginning of each set and the end of each set. Um, so it was really interesting to see that. So the, the things that they looked at, you know, they had a, you know, kind of untrained population cause they didn't want people that were highly trained so they could look at the response to exercise and, and see some differences. Um, heavy load group at 80% of one rep max light load, 20% of one rep max. And then the BFR, was 40% pressure, 60% pressure, and 80% pressure. Um, so they did, um, with the heavy load group, four sets of eight and had about two and a half minutes rest in between. The BFR and light load groups are, you know, on the days they did BFR or light load, they did the 30, 15, 15, 15. Measured a lot of things. I had to make some notes because there's a lot of stuff going on here. So they looked at MVC or torque. Um, IEMG, mass lateralis, tissue oxygenation with NEARS, um, whole body oxygen consumption, VO2, blood lactate, and heart rate um, with and these I, different I, sessions. And I think we, the sphere of the study basically is what pressure works, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's right. essentially so, what, is, what seems to be the most effective, create the fatigue, yeah. create IEMG response. Right, and because so increased fatigue is related to basically making these changes. So if you increase fatigue, you're going to increase IMG, which is probably more muscle activation, more type two fiber recruitment and more lactate um, will accumulate with that. So what they were trying to answer was 
people use these standardized pressures out there, right? So what's the best pressure that we could really use? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and essentially it was, you know, they established that it looks like 60 to 80% was effective. You know, the 40% Mm -hmm. pressure essentially looked like light load by itself. Um, and as you got toward the higher pressure, it looked a lot more like heavy load, um, where, you know, 60 to 80% for some of the stuff, there wasn't a huge difference for everything. 80% pressure kind of trended a little higher. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was pretty interesting, you know, looking at especially the fatigue factor, you know, the 80% pressure kind of tanked the most on fatigue, you know, they were really just getting smoked and never really recovered, you know, the heavy load group, they got fatigued as the set went on, but then they recovered back to baseline in between. Um, so they were talking about the importance of keeping the pressure during the rest. And really it looks like this 60% pressure is probably our minimum effective pressure. And then 80% maybe more effective than 60. Right. Um, so kind of reinforcing that we, we probably need this higher pressure to have a maximal effect with our exercise, especially if, if we're, hitting those light loads. Right. So I, I, I think kind of the, the, the things that are like stick out right into your head is like, okay, low load and 40% lactate, no change at all. Right. Right. And then low, low, I mean, and then 60% limb inclusion pressure lactate change pretty well. 80% lactate change. And then hit lactate change most, right? Right. Highest with heavy load. Yeah. And same thing for, for EMG. EMG was the highest with lifting heavy. Right. But other than lifting heavy, 80% was the highest. 60% was higher than 40. 40 and low load were pretty much the same. No, pretty much no change. across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it was also very interesting, like the fatigue index on that MVC. Or, or so the IMG, which was kind of confusing when you first looked at it because you're thinking like it was worse with 80% BFR, but when you did BFR at 80%, it fatigued really rapidly. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was essentially their, their torque, you know, by the end of that first set was down and then they had this major drop during the rest in between the first set and the second set where starting the second set, they were just kind of tanked. And so it was just this, you know, never really recovered, but you know, you're starting kind of weak and then EMG goes up throughout and you're a little stronger at the end of the set. Then you go back to being a little weaker at the beginning and increase EMG and torque as you go through the set. And so it's kind of interesting to, to see that, especially on the fourth set, you know, they're kind of at this really low point on EMG and torque. Yeah. And then at the end of the fourth set, they're back up a little higher, which to me, it's like, you, you ever try this getting through those first two reps on the fourth set at an 80% exactly exactly is, right that is the hardest thing you're going to do throughout those 75 reps i know getting through the beginning of that fourth set is the biggest mental barrier to finishing your bfr exercise i think that's what's hard to show in a podcast right now is like the first set you see the fatigue is here second set it's here third set it's here fourth set it's here which means fatigue is like the EMG signal is already like way down. So the muscle is almost done by the yeah. fourth set. And you watch people on that fourth set. They're like, ah, it's like a full body rep. They're like freaking out. Yeah. Um, trying to lift their weight. And that's when you look at that graph that Stuart showed, it was basically it. They were done at that point. They barely had anything left. And that's why we, we always say that's like a full body rep. Cause they're using like the last bit of what you have left to get the muscle failure. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, interesting to see that graphically represented. It kind of, you know, lends some good thought to what we're, we're seeing with it. And muscle oxygenation was interesting too, because like from set one, it dropped rapidly mm-hmm. for like 60, 80 and hit. And then when he hit and rested, muscle oxygenation went right back up. On yeah, the I mean, set, right. They had two and a half minutes between sets. So that's plenty of yeah. time for that yeah, oxygenation to completely totally re-oxygenate. But yeah. it never was able to recover in that 80% again. So, uh, yep. you know, these people that are like maybe deflated during the rest periods or whatever, this kind of just talks back into our whole, what we preach, man, you got to keep it on during the rest periods. And six, you know, I guess his final kind of thoughts were 60 to 80% is yeah. the bare minimum that you. Right. Yeah. And I mean, to me, it's the whole thing of also looking at the amount of fatigue that's there that we're talking about it, you know, for why we want to deflate after each exercise. It's like, man, you're, you're smoked. You need a, a minute to reperfuse, reoxygenate, recover. So that way the next movement you do makes some sense. And you can have some some energy in the tank for that next exercise. Yeah, so, for sure. You know, yeah. do a movement that you're targeting a muscle, take it to this, you know, point of, of true fatigue failure, deflate, reoxygenate, recover a little bit, and then do that with something else. Yep. I agree. Zach Kyle, you guys have thoughts on this paper? I just think I can't help but wonder if they're sort of setting up to do more trials on pressures. You know, you look at this and you go, okay, well, why did they choose to do isometric? And they had some reasoning for that, but at the same time, I'm, I just think they're probably kind of headed down this road of making these little small changes to uh, just really sort of this kind of hard science investigation of what's going on in muscle and, and right. how do we really kind of optimize our methods. So it's kind of, it will be interesting to see what they if that's what they're doing and, and, and what they do kind of find is they start adding in some actual like isotonic exercise that you might see in, in a rehab, a clinic. Um, yeah. Well, and the goal of this wasn't to reproduce what we do in the clinic, you know, and they did make note that isometric from the nearest perspective, right. Makes it much easier to do. Right. So, um, yeah. Right. Right. yeah. So, you know, you have limitations in the physiological lab, but, the beautiful right. thing about is- isometric is you can really control that 20% MVC or that 70% MVC or the way to do 80% MVC. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's nice cause they had, you know, they said they had the visual cue on the biodex, you know, yeah. showing people how long to contract, when to contract, you know, they had a three second contraction, one second rest. So kind of replicating what the time under tension would be for an isotonic exercise. Um, yeah. And they obviously throw out there that, you know, isometric isn't the same as, as doing an isotonic, but it should be pretty similar based on the results. And yeah, looking at it, you know, we're talking about this being a a real heavy science study. I mean, the setup, they've got NEARS, they've got EMG, they're looking at, you know, torque, they're looking at that throughout beginning and end of each set. And they've got the, the VO2 going at the same time, looking at oxygen consumption, whole blood lactate. Yeah, hold with lactate. I mean, that, that's a lot of things to be able to measure in one study, which is, is pretty beautiful. And they were looking at muscle thickness and fat thickness too for something, right? Yeah, and they, they mentioned that at the beginning. Out where they were going with that, though, right? And they also mentioned blood pressure at some point and didn't really follow up on that either. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't reported really after that, right? Okay, uh, but so. I think the take home from a well-respected lab is that sixty. 
gives you pretty good results. 80% limb occlusion pressure gives you better results overall, it looks like. And then lifting heavy gives you the best results. So that's always what we've preached. You know, if you, if you can lift heavy, just go freaking lift heavy. If you can't, I would love to have my patients always get to 80%. 60% still showed something from the acute model here. Um, 40% is basically spinning your wheels. No yeah. changes in these. It's also just like lifting light. So, right. you know, well, you're not measuring limb occlusion pressures. You, you know, we don't know where you're at on a lot of these things. And if you're using something that can't maintain, I think it's worth pointing out too. They used a, a Zimmer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Surgical grade tourniquet. Yeah. So Zimmers are, yeah. Um, microprocess surgical grade. Um, they're, they're really, they're the Delphi units, the same ones that we use. So this would be something similar from our studies. Um, so we know that they're maintaining the occlusion while they're doing it. Right. I mean, the, we didn't really focus all that much on our, our, the lactate response with this, but they, they also showed here, you know, heavy load was, was the highest 80 load, 80% of limb occlusion pressure was also significant. 60 kind of trended that way, but didn't quite reach that significance. Um, you know, as far as significant difference from 40 and, and low load. Um, yeah. so low load and 40% did nothing. 60% trended up 80% went up significantly. Heavy load went up significantly. Yeah. 80% and lifting heavy were significantly better than all the other groups. Right. Right. So looking at the potential yeah. from, from lactate, you know, talking about these, these other pathways that we get into, it's, you know, we're, we're always trying to figure out how we can make that, you know, maximal for the, you know, one exercise that we're applying at a time. Yeah. All right. So rubber stamping this, if you're doing BFR in the lower extremity, based on this study from, from Dr. Warmington's lab, 60 to 80% limb occlusion pressure in an acute model kicks off all the things that we care about, blood lactate, muscle fatigue, EMG, um, so those are our targets and it aligns perfectly with what we have been doing and what of our clinical trials are all set up to be so far. So cool. Thanks, Ben. That's good, man. Everyone read that is open access frontiers in physiology is open access. If you know what that means, that means you click on the paper and you get it for free, which is what every paper should be. But, <laughs> but that's, that is one of the, the few journals that does that. All right, so let's transition from that to a study that followed these same guidelines. Um, and this one's from Dr. Luke Hughes um, and Stephen Patterson and Bruce Patton and Dr. Ferris Haddad, who's a super well-respected orthopedic surgeon over in the UK, um, where they first looked at tolerance or perception with BFR after ACL. So I think, um, Kyle, this is one that you were going to present today, right? Yeah, we were going to kind of chat through that. Um, I called it the joy and pain article. They said comfort and pain. I just needed it to sound more like joy and pain <laughs> in BFR. Um, 1970s, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's what I keep hearing in the back of my head. Yeah. I say that, but... Um, that's this paper by our buddy Luke Hughes over in the UK. Um, mm -hmm. I thought the one of the crazy things about this paper when I was looking at it, they just kind of break down uh, their methods and how they got subjects and everything. Initially, they had um, about 85 people that they targeted 
you know, and then they got rid of 51 just in the very first sort of screening. And that just kind of, again, sort of resonates with us. Like, man, it's so hard to do these studies and the life of research, man. I know I was, I was shocked by that when I saw that. And then, then they lost a few more kind of along the way, but for the most part, like there was that big chunk, that 51 just straight away in their pre-recruitment medical screening for whatever reason, they didn't meet uh, their, their criteria. Um, they ended up with two groups, a, a BFR group and then a heavy load group. And I, we probably should mention that Luke had done some kind of pilot data before just kind of looking at sort of these acute perceptual responses to BFR uh, and exercise and then had kind of rolled it into this larger clinical trial within the NIH. They had 28 subjects in each group, uh, or excuse me, total. So 14 in the BFR group, 14 in the the heavy lifting group they had in the BFR group, there were like seven women and five, excuse me, seven men, five women, um, heavy lifting group had 10 men and two women. They exercise with BFR twice a week for eight weeks. Uh, and then three days a week, they did just what they called standard of care rehab. That's looks like it's kind of a, a typical thing within, uh, the NIH and the over in the UK, it seems like the NIH is like very structured in their rehab. Yeah. You know? Like, okay, you have to do the non-involved limb as well. You know, it's like following NIH or NHS. We keep saying NIH is NHS. NIH, right? NIH. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. the UK National Health Service. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's very standardized care, it feels like. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, and they did some pre some pre-testing. They did a 10 RM uh on the leg press just because they figured that would be tolerated um, better post-operatively by that surgical limb. So they did a 10 RM leg press for strength. And they also did some isokinetic uh, strength testing um, for knee flexion, knee extension. And that was at 60, 150 and 300 degrees per second. Um, and then they, they said something about a 10 rep maximal exertion at that 300 degrees per second. I didn't really quite, do you know what that is, Johnny or Zach? I, that was kind of a new thing for me to see. Um, yeah. So they do in, in pre-surgery, you get a 10 RM. And, uh, and so you, you kind of are able to figure out like, okay, this is what your rep max would be. And so you, you kind of figure out what they can lift in 10 reps In pre-surgery, you have some room to kind of wiggle it out. Like, okay, I'm going, this is too easy. Okay, stop. We're going to, and, and so they get to the point where this is your estimated guesstimated kind of 10 rep max, the most you can do in 10 reps. And then there's actually a formula that you can use for based on after you've had surgery and the amount of atrophy you might get of how much loss you would get from that 10 RM. So they use that pre-surgical 10 RM where it was done in more of a safe environment, non-surgical. And then they, they take it down a percentage and retest it at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 There was the, the thing that confused me though, was the, um, when they were talking about the isokinetic data, that's where they were saying that is, so no, I, it looked I like think they were 10RM, as far as I know, was only on their leg press testing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to peek at that. I, like, it was just, I was reading this afternoon, and when they were talking about isokinetics, they specifically said a 10 rep maximal exertion at 300 degrees per second, which I, it just didn't really jive. I didn't quite get it. I didn't know if they meant like they were just all of those 60, 150, 
and 300 we're doing 10 repetition if it was just 100 so yeah isokinetic would just be go 10 as hard as you can right yeah that's kind of what i figured but i don't know the way it was written confused me which tends to kind of happen a little bit um but we won't go down that road um So at any rate, they, they did all that kind of pre-surgical testing. They looked at their range of motion, um, and, and all and knee effusion and that kind of thing. Uh, midway through, they just did a 10 RM leg press to kind of see how strong they were. Uh, and then at the end they did the 10 RM and the isokinetic data again. Uh, and then they measured at the, during each session, they measured a few different things. They measured their RPE. So how hard they felt like they were working. They measured that after like every set of exercise and then kind of averaged that to get a session RPE. And then they measured, um, muscle pain and knee pain, uh, at each session. And then they also measured that, uh, 24 hours after each session so that they could track, you know, was the BFR group having a different pain response than, for example, the, the lifting heavy group. Um, I didn't think some interesting things were, were kind of neat to see was just sort of how they decided when to begin BFR with, um, with the subjects. They, they, they didn't start prior to two weeks. They waited at least two weeks until those sutures were out. Um, they wanted them to be able to weight bear on one leg without pain. Uh, they needed a range of motion of zero to 90 degrees. They needed a straight leg raise without a lag. Uh, they needed good glute and quad activation and they needed just kind of minimal mid patellar edema. So that was kind of nice to see that they had just a bit of criteria. So everybody's kind of starting from at least a similar place, but not necessarily um, chronologically. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, it's now we're doing these studies and it's more of, it's going to be goal based. You know, so that's yeah. already published criteria that's out there for ACL because not everyone starts at the same time. You know, it's, it's like our right. femur fracture trial. You know, it's like we'll start it when everyone weight bears. Well, some people weight bear day two, some people weight bear six weeks. And so you have to make your goals like, you know, kind of more broad, like you have to capture all these goals. So, yeah, I like that he did that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was, that was cool. Then, um, the intervention, the BFR group, uh, both groups would just kind of start with a little five minute pedal on the bike, uh, 10 reps of, uh, leg press at just a lightweight BFR group did the 80% restriction that, uh, four sets, you know, 30, 15, 15, 15 rep set scheme with a 30 second rest interval that we, that we always teach. And they went unilateral, uh, with the leg press. Um, and we said, like we said, twice a week, they did that for eight weeks. The, the, the heavy group did, uh, same warm up, but they went three sets of 10 with a 30 second rest interval. Uh, and they were at 70% of that predicted one RM that, that Johnny explained earlier. Uh, and then they trained both legs, um, on, on this. So they were, they weren't, they were, Basically, they 10 RM each leg, and they worked off of that 10 RM on the on the representative leg, right. uh, and they did that for four weeks. Then they they retested them again. Um, in terms of one thing, I did like too about this is they had kind of a criteria for progressing the progressing the load. You know, sometimes we see these studies and they don't really necessarily progress the load. Um, and essentially, they said if you completed all the reps for two consecutive visits, then they increased the load by 10 percent. And then they readjusted the load at, at that mid training when they retested that 10 RM. Uh, that was kind of funny to see because at that ninth visit after they had retested that 
10 RM, you saw the muscle pain really kind of jump a little bit on these people because the load, yeah. the load yeah. went up and that was in both groups. It wasn't just the BFR group that that was true in, in both groups. So it just kind of also shows you, man, you got to really make sure you are testing these people maybe every month. Um, but having that, that objective kind of measurement of what people are able to do, able to do really uh, can make a difference in, in your rehab progressions. Um, so that was cool. Results wise, they, um, both groups had the greatest amount of pain at that initial session, which I don't think anyone is really surprised by overall, the BFR group had more muscle pain than the the heavy loaded group, which again, I don't think really surprises us. Um, but, uh, right. yeah, there is, it's a good thing. It means that muscles can, work. Yeah. Can, can we just address that that muscle pain is, is kind of a, a strange term to use there? I mean, it, this is a, more of a, a discomfort, um, you know, cause it's the, the whole thing of exercise being painful in the muscle. It's like, well, that's, it's really just a, you know, you're uncomfortable because you're, you're creating some stress there. If you've never worked out before it's muscle pain, if you know yeah, that feeling, you're like, yeah, that's what, that's the feeling I want to get. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the BFR group, so yeah, the BFR group, their muscle felt more pain slash work right right correct correct um both groups their pain just kind of gradually improved over time the bfr groups always went down it didn't really just kind of every session went down a little bit went down a little bit bfr group had substantially less pain than the the heavy loaded group in the knee joint itself in the knee joint joint itself they had they had less pain which was um you know, really, really nice to see, even with that, you know, that volume of work they're doing, um, cause you're doing a lot more reps with that BFR, right? I mean, the, the, the heavy loaded groups doing about 30 reps, you know, and, and the BFR groups doing about 75. Um, so even moving that joint a bit more, wasn't really ticking it off and it didn't tick it off when they, when they bumped the load up at visit nine either. So that, that was, um, really pretty great to see. Um, and that pretty much kind of sums it up. I think in terms of just sort of what they were looking at in terms of the effort and the discomfort and, and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I think the spirit of the study is like, you can't do an intervention if it's not tolerable. Right. And so this was kind of to set out and say, can subjects post knee surgery or knee reconstruction in this case, tolerate this new modality and so they had less knee pain afterwards than the than the traditional kind of more heavy lifting group they had less knee pain 24 hours later than the heavy lifting group which is beautiful they had more muscle pain and then they thought it was harder and that kind of flies in the face of some of the traditional bfr literature you know the bfr literature is like yeah it's hard and then it gets easier and it gets it's the point where people are like Oh, this is so easy. And they point out, you know, the study they kept kind of citing was one Martin Hernandez's paper that was like BFR was really hard at the start. And then it got easy over a couple of weeks, but they used a standard pressure the entire time. So, you know, it's something like 110, I think that one Martin used um, and they never increased the load. And so the the thing that Luke did that, that we all do now as clinicians with this is we check the pressure each time. So if you hypertrophy in four to six weeks, your pressure needs to be higher. 
So he made note of that, that they were doing limb occlusion pressures at each visit on their little Delphi units. So they were making the pressures higher and they were increasing the load. So the RPE and the muscle, like this is hard, never went away, you know? And, and so I think from a clinical perspective, that's what you always want to see is your patients are like, holy hell, this feels just as hard as it was last time. So if you're personalizing your pressure and you're increasing your load over time, it should keep being harder. But the knee pain wasn't there, which is beautiful. Yep. Right. Yeah. And I think too, on the side of just kind of taking that pressure every time, Johnny, I think, you know, um, as a clinician, it's you kind of covering your backside too, you know, cause yeah. something were to go squirrely, you know, and there was an adverse event, um, which, I mean, let's be honest, when we teach these courses and we talk to people about BFR, the first question they have is safety. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in order to cover your hind end, you really, it doesn't take but 30 seconds. Take that pressure, yeah. jot it down every time. You know, I know from personal experience in clinic, we would, initially we started like we do pressure two, three times, and then you see some consistency and you're like, okay, that's just probably their pressure and then you get a little bit lazy, you know, and you don't take it this time. You just kind of go. And the, the trouble with that is it gets too easy to repeat. You know, it, yep. it, you'd look at a chart and you'd be like, Holy crap, man, it's been 10 visits and we have not retaken this pressure. Um, that's not good. You know? So it just, I would take it every time, um, work it into your session and you just become second nature. And it, it, it in no way impacted my, my practice. Once I started just kind of, Hey, this is the way it goes, go over there get ready. And, and, and we're done. Yeah. And it's so, it's so easy to do and it changes you over time. It's like, okay, this is different than when we started And and for us, the way we do it, it's like, okay, how hard does this do? I push a button and the person has to be quiet for 30 seconds, which for some people that is really hard to do to be quiet for 30 seconds. But if they can do that, um, that's the way to do it. And that's what, what Luke did here. And so, no, that's perfect. So, so I think that's, that's awesome. So the summary here is, in in this paper after ACLs, BFR had less knee pain, but they had more muscle RPE and they had more muscle kind of uh, pain for lack of a better term, right? Yeah, yeah. and no no adverse events throughout that study. No adverse events, no. yeah. No when, and, and so I'm forgetting, when did they start again? When the when the I know when the, the the goals met, but was there an average kind of like weeks post surgery when that happened? Just, just past three weeks. It was 23, yeah, three. 24 days. So they started okay. measuring and seeing if people could do it at like 14 days, like right after sutures came out. Okay. And then people didn't actually start the intervention until like a little after a week three after weeks or an average. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, around three weeks. Okay. So again, when people ask, like, when can I start BFR? Well, all right, here's a paper published with the UK National Health Service where they started at three weeks post-ACL. So I would start it sooner. I, I know most of us would say that as well, but this paper, they did start at three weeks post-ACL reconstruction. Cool. Thanks, Kyle. Any other thoughts, you guys, on that paper? Zach, you've been mysteriously quiet. I guess you're just saving it up for your paper. Waiting. You're waiting. <laughs> All right. He's waiting to go Rain Man. All right, Dunkle, Rain Man on us, man. Let's let's talk to <laughs> angle, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this guy loves some Panation angle. It's kind of like the penumbra. You remember when that came out? That was, uh, yeah. yeah. 
Get your right. Hey, it's all the details. The devil is in the details, and that's where the gains are made. Exactly. <laughs> what's your what's the title of your paper? There's another one from Luke and and the guys with yeah. the UK National Health Service, but tell us about this paper. Yeah, so uh, what they did was this was the, the continuation of these folks getting ACL reconstructions. Um, and then um, what they did was they carried out uh, their, their therapy uh, beginning right around that post-op week two uh, time period and then going twice a week uh, for eight weeks. And so, Kyle, you were asking about like the um, – the, the 10 reps at 300 degrees per second. So what they did was, so instead of doing five reps, which was what they did at 60 and then 150, they just bumped it up to 10 at 300 is, was okay. what yeah. that was. Well, that makes, I could, just couldn't find that when I was reading it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it just, who knows? Yeah, no, that, 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 that was the only difference. And so oh, here we are. Five. Yeah. Anyway. Five maximum yeah. reps. There we are. Yep. And then 10 at the 300. Got it. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, and so from there, um, like Kyle said, they, they, everyone did a standard um, rehab three times a week. And it was really on the responsibility of the patient to do their standard rehab. And then the, the treatment intervention that's reported in the paper was done uh, twice a week. And it consisted of either, uh, moderate to high intensity leg presses at 70% of a one RM or uh, low intensity BFR leg presses at 30% of a one RM uh, set reps were a set of 33 sets of 15 for the BFR group. And then the, uh, the conventional leg press did three sets of 10. They did lose two, or two, two um, folks in each group. So started at 14 and then dropped uh, final data collection was 12 in each group. Uh, so, uh, measures that they reported on were kind of like impairment level things, strength, um, and then muscle size as well. And in, incorporated in muscle size, they also measured a uh, penation angle via ultrasound, and then they collected uh, functional outcome measures as well. Uh, so following the, um, the eight week, uh, period when it came to strength, strength was measured uh, a 10 RM as well as isokinetically uh, via the 10 RM. There was a significant increase in both groups um, and, and no difference between groups. So uh, strength did not return to back to baseline at 10 RM baseline that they did pre-surgery. So there was still a deficit at eight weeks, which I think is pretty expected. But uh, I would say that the, the big take home with this was we, we do BFR low intensity rehab for eight weeks, or we do high intensity leg presses for eight weeks. And we have no difference in strength um, following eight weeks. The, uh, the improvements <coughs> were 104% improvement in the BFR group and 106% improvement uh, in, in this uh, leg press strength. Uh, when it came to isokinetic strength, there was um, significant decreases from baseline across the board, no differences between groups um, at 60 degrees per second. So looking at 60 degrees per second, when we compare it to baseline, there was a decrease. Um, and then there was a significant increase over the eight-week period from the post-op level, but in no differences between the high load nor the BFR group. When we take a look at um, 
the other speeds. There was a significant increase um, in the BFR group, or there was a significantly less of a decrease in the BFR group compared to the high load group um, mm-hmm. for knee extension. At so high speeds BFR was significantly right. better than hit. Okay. Right. So, you know, and, and, you know, with, with isokinetic, when, when, I think when we look at the, from a strength training st- or from a strength standpoint, the lower the, the speed, the better the, the um, indicator yeah, of strength yeah, is. Yeah. 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 So, so there is that, um, but there was less of a decrease in the BFR group at 150 and 300 degrees per second. Right. Well, and, and then, I think the important thing to point out too, is that, um, all they did was leg press. They did no leg extension work, right? That is correct. Yeah. Um, the only treatment intervention was a leg press yeah. between zero and 90 degrees of knee flexion outside yeah. of the standard of care. So whatever they were doing standard of care, both groups were doing the same. So they, they may have been doing some there, but not with, but it yeah, wasn't not part of this intervention. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Now next um, from a muscle morphology standpoint, um, taking a look at, um, muscle thickness, uh, they measured muscle thickness via an ultrasound after eight weeks, there was a 5.8% increase in the BFR group and a 6.7% increase in muscle thickness in the, um, in the high load group. And, And I would point the, I think the real significance of this is kind of twofold is um, there was no difference in muscle thickness between the BFR group and the, the hit group. And then when you take a look at, um, the changes compared to the no rans paper, which did traditional rehab for a period of six months, um, muscle volume changes. So measure muscle hypertrophy. They, they had a significant decrease of almost 18 and a half percent at six months. So there was no kind of going back to baseline. We just furthered atrophied away over six months. Now here we are when we just do two months of BFR leg press and that is it. Just one exercise with a tourniquet on. We are, we put almost 6% muscle mass back on that limb. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's pretty key as well. The, the kind of the fast changes that we can get into address some of this and then taking a look at penation angle. Um, so penation angle, the importance of this is when the muscle's ability to generate force, that penation angle increases when, uh, the penation angle decreases, there's a decrease in the ability of the muscle to generate force. And so with high load training, over this ACL paper for a period of two months, uh, they demonstrated uh, a 3.4% increase in penation angle and the BFR group had a 4.1% increase. Uh, so no differences between groups and a significant increase from um, uh, the uh, post-op levels. And then comparing this again to NORAN's paper, which also measured uh, penation angle, what they demonstrated was after six months of rehab, we had a negative one point um, two six percent, so a decrease in penation angle of one point two six percent. And you know, doing BFR exercises for a period of two months, we get over a four percent increase in penation angle. So, 
um, addressing kind of some of these key variables that really seem to be a predictor or seem to influence the ability of the muscle to generate force. We're able to address this very early on um, with low loads when maybe the high loads aren't necessarily tolerated for individuals. Right. And, and then um, lastly, looking at functional measures, they use the IKDC on the COOS and then the LEFS. Um, significantly greater um, improvements in, in every functional outcome measure in the BFR group compared to the, um, the high load group. Yeah. And then also effusion and range of motion, right? Right. They measured those as well. And um, no differences between the, um, the BFR group nor the, the high load group. Oh, and I thought BFR was better on rain. Yeah. BFR better on rain. What was better on effusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think that, that was one of the key points. The range was improved significantly yeah. and they had significantly less of effusion as well. So, yeah. That's one of the key take homes here, too. Maybe right, not that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess big wrap up again strength hypertrophy. You know, this is numbers like you look at them, we're like, damn, dude, those are actually pretty impressive numbers um, in, in both those groups for strength and hypertrophy. Like you said, compared to Brian's paper um, of what, what, what they saw like six months out, but also the BFR group had better self-reported, had less swelling, and they had improved range of motion. So starting potentially, if you look at the kind of overall thoughts on this study, BFR can probably get you to the same points with string and hypertrophy as lifting heavy, post-op ACL, and maybe less pain um, or less self-reported um, issues, less effusion, and improved range of motion, Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it so, definitely seems to reinforce the whole, you know, yeah, if you can lift heavy, you probably could just lift heavy. If you can't lift heavy, then this looks like it might be our closest thing. When I, I think it's this too, like, you know, when you do studies, you have to set up the most basic, easy designs in the world. This was the most basic, easy design ever. Like, okay, we're just do leg press. That's it. You know, a lot of our trials, it's like, okay, from weeks one to two, you're going to do these exercises with or without BFR. And then from three to four, these exercises, all he did was leg press. Right. You know, in a clinical setting, the beautiful thing with BFR is I can put a light load on the ankle and do something like a leg extension, which isn't like hearsay anymore. That's, that's something pretty powerful because it isolates the quad. And I bet those isokinetic scores would get better if they were doing isolated long or quad along with leg press. Don't you guys think? Absolutely. Well, and it's the whole thing, you know, postoperatively, most people are going to have pain and swelling and be inhibited from lifting heavy the way we really want them to. So consistently, I'd say it's, it's a lot more feasible to do this light load and BFR when someone's got pain and some swelling and some inhibition make them stronger with the light load and yeah, progress the load. And when you can start hitting them with some, some real loading, probably start weaning off the tourniquet. Yeah, exactly. And this mimics, you know, they did their study with the UK military and they found the same, the self reporters and functional changes were better in, in when they did it in the, it was called inpatient, but it was kind of inpatient because they were military in an inpatient scenario. Um, and it also mimics our first, 
randomized trial post-operative knee where we had improved functional changes and improved COOS changes as well compared to the standard of care. So um, that's what's great to see now, these clinical trials that are not only showing you get these strength hypertrophy changes, but these other kind of important measures like self-reported and pain and function are improved when we BFR. So do you guys have any idea and Jack, you might, you might remember from Brian Noren's paper, but um, I'm, I'm curious in terms of when after injury, like how long after injury Luke's group on average had a CL reconstruction versus Brian's group. And my thought being ultimately that, well, perhaps the, I mean, if I'm just playing devil's advocate, well, why did Luke see much better changes than Brian's group? Maybe, maybe the threshold for improvement was lower because they had lost more muscle. It was a longer amount of time before they had surgery or sooner. Um, yeah, so I, Brian's paper it seems like it was about three months post injury, though. It seemed like there was a decent amount of time. It was. It was around 80, 86 days or something like that, I want to say, off the top of my head. Um, and yeah, also, four. Brian, <laughs> Brian's paper was straight up traditional rehab. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was just your, like, and, and I don't know exactly the, the, the protocol that they're doing right now in Kentucky. I just have a feeling that what they're going to do is they set up traditional rehab and then they're going to do a BFR trial and literally just kind of have the data from traditional rehab. Cause we, we have all that stuff, muscle architectural changes. They, they reported strength changes as well. So um, the atrophy or the, the involved side strength was um, 1.7 Newton per kilogram. I want to say, uh, uh, and then um, they're going to basically then run that whole thing because the protocol is out to 24 uh, weeks, which puts you at six months, which is where that traditional rehab paper um, on average ended. Right. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it's something, too, when you look at studies like this, <laughs> it, it kind of makes you rethink also what you're doing in the clinical setting because, okay, here's this physiologist who comes in and he says, you're going to do BFR at this load and we're going to retest you every couple of weeks and increase your load and increase your pressure based on that. Or we're going to start you lifting heavy. Like how many clinicians at like week three are like, okay, we're going to do 70% one RM. Um, and, and we're going to retest that in a couple of weeks and do 70% one RM again, you know? Yeah. So that made, that made yeah. good changes, you know, compared to what we see with this whole standard of care, um, so it's where clinicians need to think more like scientists running a study lots of times and like, okay, you know, I'm either doing BFR or I'm going to try and get them to lift heavy, you know, lifting heavy. There might be a downside to have more pain, more swelling, yada, yada. Um, but you have to check your one RMs and, and keep increasing it. Or if you're doing BFR, same thing, check your one RMs, but keep rechecking your limb inclusion pressures. Yep. Yeah, that's Absolutely. the fatal flaw, you know. We we're like, all right, go up one plate, <laughs> you know, <laughs> over time. And you probably started them at like 30% one RM under free flow conditions in your clinical settings. So you're just spinning your freaking wheels. No doubt. All right, man. So just kind of free flowing here. What do you guys think after these three papers? Just overall kind of thoughts does it change anything it pretty much aligns with everything we've been saying this whole time right just seems to yeah 
Yeah, yeah I mean, it's things- really nice to see the pain and diffusion and those kind of things be less in VFR group. I think that's really helpful. Um, it's yeah. something easy to talk to with clinicians that are kind of curious about this and nervous about it. So. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, and I got, I got peppered with that in my Northwestern grand rounds by some of the professors like, ah, we don't think these patients can tolerate this. They're not going to tolerate it. Yada, yada, yada. I'm like, if they can tolerate it the first time I, I, I know I've got someone, you know, you know, pretty quickly if this person's going to tolerate it. And I, and I think that's what Luke pointed out in his perception paper. It was harder from an RPE perspective. It was harder from a muscle, quote, pain perspective. He had no patients drop out because of that. You know, they all completed it. And that's what rehab needs to be is it, it should be hard as hell where they, you know, it's not earn your deflate. It's earn your freaking copay where they left and they're like, damn, dude, you broke my ass off. That's good. So. <laughs> That's what we have to that. And, and so the perfect scenario in my mind is, yeah, low load early on. It's perfectly safe. You're going to have all this analgesia. You're going to have less effusion. You're going to, you know, um, have better self-reported equal strength and hypertrophy. And then they can get off of it and their knee is great. And they've got some muscle and start lifting freaking heavy. It's just so kind of straightforward in my mind to do it that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, you know, shoot conservative at first, get people to tolerate it. It's still going to feel pretty hard. It's going to be a lot of lactate and do something that they can complete it, get an an idea of what's coming and then educate them on why it has to get harder. You know, patients that complained about clamshells probably won't do so well with BFR. It's like, man, this really hurts. Where? Right here on the side of my hip. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I, there's patients you're going to have who've never felt lactate in their life. I mean, I had a patient one time, not even BFR related, you know, she was doing a stretch and she was wigging out because I don't think she's ever stretched her, like, muscle ever in her life. So certain people obviously aren't going to be candidates. But you're going to know within the first session or two if this person's right. a candidate. And if they're a candidate and they can tolerate it, then they should be able to handle it. But you got to increase your load. You got to increase your pressure as a hypertrophy. Check your LOPs, um, which which is uh, you know I, I've seen this. I've seen this with some of the pro teams that BFR is hard on a good day. It's hard just lifting your leg with BFR, and they just get stuck in this like it's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And they're like, yeah, we've been doing this same thing for like three months. It's like, dude, seriously? I mean, you've got to sometimes start increasing load on here. Always find that 20 to 30% rev max kind of range if you can. And, and that's where the 30, 15, 15, 15 works. Because if you get where you basically get to that fourth set and you can't get to the end, you're, you basically fatigue, you know you're in that 30% range, 20 to 30% range. So if it's too easy for them, and they're like, yeah, that wasn't that bad. It's like, okay, next time we're taking this bad boy way up. And I'm going to make this where this one quad exercise just busts you off um, and use those as a guide, I think. No doubt. I would say, too, um, this whole analgesia thing is a hot topic right now, and it's, it's, it's really cool from a clinical perspective. And Luke actually just had another paper, he and, and Dr. Patterson, um, a medical hypothesis paper on the analgesic benefits of blood flow restriction just came out a couple of weeks ago. 
Um, and so if you want to take a deep dive and why this might be working from an analgesic perspective, I know those guys are doing a, a lot of research right now, trying to figure out what the mechanisms are. That's a good paper to do a deeper dive into this. Cool. Any other thoughts you guys on anything? I think we nailed it. I mean, yeah. nailed it. 60, yeah. nailed it. Uh, 60 to 80% pressure increased load. In the lower extremity. So that was a yeah. lower extremity study. So <laughs> that's what we know. All right, fellas. Well, looks like we wrapped up another um, epic Bones Recovery Science podcast. Oh, do we have any questions? <laughs> I didn't think about that. Oh, uh, we did. Um, I had, yeah. <laughs> Should, should we, should we move that to next time? Some of them next time. Some of them, yeah. Let's bump those the next time, yeah. Okay. We'll bump yeah. those the next time, man. Well, anyways, <laughs> if you listen all the way through this and you have a blood flow restriction question, send it to info at Owens Recovery Science Podcast. You'll get a sweet Owens Recovery Science on your deflate, like really nice T-shirt. We don't we don't use that cotton thick crap. We, we have the really <laughs> nice ones that make you look swole when you wear them. Um, yeah, maybe that's why we're not getting not getting questions. That was the info at Owens Recovery Science podcast. So info ah, at owensrecoveryscience.com dot com, <laughs> and really use going. hashtag podcast in your subject line, <laughs> and right. that should get you to a better place. Look, I'm dealing with plumbing <laughs> issues. <laughs> you know? I've, I've got toilet water coming out of my shower right now, so that's all I can think of. <laughs> my, my brain's maxed out. <laughs> oh, all right, guys. Well, thanks. Um, <laughs> I think uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Take care, fellas. All right, see you. Thanks for listening to the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Owens Recovery Science is a single source for PTs, OTs, ATCs, DCs, MDs, and other medical professionals seeking certification in personalized blood flow restriction rehabilitation training. Find them online at owensrecoveryscience.com.